you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Psalm 119, and um, we are uh, at the end of a long, long journey in Psalm 119. If you've been here, um, I've almost been here about four years, and uh, one of the things that we did uh, in the first summer, as I said, I want to preach through Psalm 119, and uh, I know some of you looked at me, are you nuts? Um, you know, like, can you do that in one Sunday? And I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it one Sunday. I'm going to do it in 22 Sundays because there's 22 stanzas. And some of you st- still said, are you nuts? And so we've been breaking that over, over the summers and, you know, doing five messages, eight messages here. Um, be thankful that um, you weren't in a congregation back in, well, maybe you shouldn't be thankful, but uh, back in the, the 1600s, a, a Puritan preacher, and I have his uh, volumes on my shelf, preached over 180 messages on Psalm 119. So we would just be ending now after three and a half years of doing nothing but Psalm 119. It is a a, a psalm uh, that is so rich with the goodness of God um, as he has displayed himself um, uh, in the scriptures for us. And and I want to always start or finish what I start. And so this is the end of, of our journey through Psalm 119. It's been an important book for me, and it has been for a long time in my life, probably 20 years when I first was fascinated by Psalm 119, uh, because it, it, it's a book that on almost in every verse makes a reference to the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God for our lives. And I need to hear that because my tendency is to neglect the Word of God. My tendency sometimes is just to, to set it aside and, and not read it or to forget it, to become too busy. Um, to look for help in other places, to look for ec- expertise in other sources, and uh, just get myself into trouble so often. But yet when I come back to the Word of God and make it the foundation and the center point of my life, God honors it, and, and He has designed us to function according to the way that He has asked us to live. So it's been as much as a, a journey for me as it has been for you as a congregation, and what I had hoped to do with us as a church because I think it's important for us as a family, as, as a believers, together to have confidence in the Bible. To have confidence in the Word of God. Because it seems like at every turn, the Word of God is under attack. Uh, it's certainly under attack passively in our lives. You know, as I mentioned, what happens to me personally, I'm sure, well, it might happen to some of you, but life gets busy. And what's one of the first things that suffers is your Bible reading. Um, it's not that you intend to do that. It's not that you want to do that. It just happens. And so, you know, our, our constant turning to the Bible is, is under attack const- passively because we just neglect it. But there's also an active assault on the Word of God in the lives of uh, believers and, and in the church. And that assault takes place in, in the big picture of terms as, as people look at the Bible and say, well, it's not God's Word, it's not really important, it was just written by a bunch of people and you can take some of it, you can leave some of it, it doesn't really matter, it's just another book among other books. And we find that assault coming from both within the church and without the church. So, so it's being assaulted that way. The other day I was listening to the radio after um, the news came out that the judge had overturned Proposition 8 down in California. And so they were talking about marriage again. And um, what does marriage mean? And uh, one of our MPs, not from the island, but uh, from the mainland, um, phoned in, supposedly an expert on marriage, and sort of gave this, this long, rambling definition about marriage, uh, essentially saying marriage is a human construct. It was invented by, by, uh, by men and women about 3,000 years ago um, for, for certain reasons, and so it's ours to change whenever we want to change it. 
Loved ones, that is a direct assault on the Word of God. Because the Word of God tells us that marriage is God's institution. That He designed it, that He has set it up, that He has established it, and He determines what it means. And so that's just one small area in specific at which the Bible is under assault. So coming back then to Psalm 119, the goal is, my goal has been in part to encourage us to see that God's Word should be the center of our life and that we can have great confidence uh, in it. When I come to this psalm, the, the last verse, um, and I'll read it, and then we're going to read the whole, whole psalm. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. I was thinking of that, and I thought, what a strange way to end uh, 176 verses in the Bible. Because the psalmist has been, up to this point, he's been going along and he's expressed this amazing confidence in the Word of God and in his love for the Word. So he says stuff like, I obey your Word, and I love your Word, and it's my meditation all the day long, and I long for the night watches so that I can meditate and think on your Word. And, and it's just been this sort of, this building crescendo of his confidence and his assertion in the Word of God. And then it's like you take this balloon and you stick a, a, a pin in it and it just goes pop. And you read, I have strayed like a lost sheep. And you think, what in the world is going on there? What has just happened to his confidence in, in the word of God? And I think as I was reflecting on that a little bit, I thought, well, this is a necessary confession. It's a necessary um, reality check in our lives because sometimes we tend to put people on a pedestal. And so we might have put the psalmist on the pedestal and say, well, good for you. You know, you, you, you can read the word all the time. You meditate on it time. You obey it all the time. You, you do all this kind of stuff. And we tend to make him kind of superhuman, kind of like Mr. Perfect. And, and every once in a while, somebody will, will come out, we'll, we'll go out for lunch together and we'll talk about something. And they'll say to me, well, you never had that problem, do you, Paul? Uh, well, yeah, I do. I'm just like you. Um, you know, and, and we're put on a pedestal. My wife will tell me every once in a while. She, she no longer tells anybody um, that we have marriage troubles um, because they don't believe her because they think I, I, never, <laughs> I never do anything wrong. Well, I do. I actually do quite a bit wrong. And uh, you know, biblically, and this is a biblical word, um, I can be an idiot sometime. And you say, well, you say, where do you get that word from? Well, if you go and read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22... It says, wives, submit to your own idiot husbands. It, it does. It does. The, the word that's used is idiotes, and it means individual. And it doesn't mean the bad things that we fill in it today. It's idiosyncrasies and uniquenesses that our own husbands are. But we need to be careful not to put people on pedestals. And so we could easily do this with the, with the psalmist and and think, well, this guy's Mr. Super Spiritual, Mr. Super Christian. But he's not. Because at the end of all of that, he kind of confesses. He says, but you know what? I have strayed like a lost sheep. This is the, the impulse of my heart, the desire of my mind is to walk with God, to love his word, to obey his word. But I have strayed like a lost sheep. His life had been far from perfect. What he needed was the constant intervention of God in his life. And we need to realize that even the most fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ has to come to God with a sense of humility and of contrition, realizing that we are prone to wander. 
There's a song that we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. There's this tendency in us to swing away from God and to go it on our own ways. So he talks about himself being a lost sheep. He says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. What he's intending to convey there, I'm convinced of, is, is spiritual straying. He's talking about spiritually straying away from God. He, he uses that word, has strayed. Uh, th- that means I've got off the course. I've taken a different path. I've come to a fork in the road, and instead of choosing God's way, I've chosen my own way. And so he says, I have strayed. And in fact, what's more important than that is he, he calls out and he says, God, would you seek me? And this is something that ought to embed into our hearts and minds because, you know, when your dog or your cat runs away, um, sometimes they can stray for a long, long time. And they might not turn around and come home, so you have to go seek after them. Or if you've got a a young child and and they sort of stray away from you, chances are they'll just keep wandering and wandering and, and, and get more and more lost unless you go and seek after them. And so this is a reminder that this is a parallel, perilous situation. He's realized he's got off course, and unless God comes and seeks him and finds him, he could be off course for a very long time. And so he recognizes, I have got off course, God. Would you come and find me? Would you bring me back? It's like the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Or as Jeremiah says, my people have become like lost sheep. Um, when you think about this in comparison with Psalm 23, then in Psalm chapter 23, David talks about all the amazing provisions of God. He says that he leads me, he guides me, he feeds me, he makes me rest, he provides for me, he protects me. His goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of his life. He talks about the, the benefits of having the good shepherd. Here he talks about the negative sides of that, what he lacks. He lacks understanding. He lacks, um, he lacks perception into the word of God. He lacks the ability to deliver himself of how to worship God. And so that's what this psalm is about. If you have your Bibles open, let's read it together. And we'll work our way through it. He says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you, deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. First 169, I think, gives us one of the reasons why the psalmist has strayed. He strayed because he didn't understand the word of God. And when we don't understand it, when we don't know it, that's when we'll get off course. If you don't know how to read a map, that's when you're going to get lost. If you don't know what the symbols are on a marine map, that's when you're going to hit a rock or hit a buoy or go on the wrong side of it. And so we go astray or we get lost because we don't have understanding. The amazing thing, though, before we we get to that is that even though he was in this lost condition, he knew that he could cry out to God for help. And I I think that's something we need to keep in mind. He says, I cry out to you, O God. Would you hear me? Would you come and find me? And, and, And we know that. We ought to have that confidence that when we get off track, God doesn't abandon us. 
He doesn't forget about us. He doesn't say, well, when you get back on course, then I'll start listening to you again. He says, no, no. He says, I realized that I needed guidance. I realized that I was off track. Would you hear me and would you help me? And what's he crying out for? I think this is, this is such a basic need in all of our lives. It's guidance. He needs help from God in his word. And so, you know, we, we sometimes say, God, would you help me know right from wrong? I don't know what's the right thing to do here. I don't know what's the wrong thing in this situation. Or sometimes we simply say, God, I don't know which way to go. I don't know which decision is the right one to make. Or God, I don't know how to best choose my friends. I'm having trouble, but would, would you give me some guidance and some help in your word? I don't know how many times in this last month this has been the cry of my heart. God, I don't know what to do. I need understanding. I need help from your word. I, I need it in my personal life as I wrestle with stuff. I need it in my marriage as I work things out with my wife and things are tense and, and I need help because I, I need to understand what promise or what warning or what admonition do I need to apply to my life to make it better in my marriage. Or it might be in the lives of my kids. I don't know what to say to them. There's an issue that they're struggling with. How do I help them? God, would you give me guidance from your word? Or it might be in leading the church as we, dis, as we face decisions and as we don't really know what's the right thing to do and we cry out and we say, God, I need guidance. I need help. Would you be with me? Is everything okay? I think Ron's, yeah, thanks Ron. Just go, just had somebody walk out so I just want to make sure we're okay. Um, so there are times when we, we, we need guidance from God, and, and that's when we stray, when we don't wait for God, when we don't wait on his word, when we take things into our own hands. And so he says, Father, would you give me understanding? Would you help me know what word applies in this situation? Another reason why we stray is in verse 170 there. He says, let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. I think he's talking there about sin. Pure and simple. He's, he's talking about the fact that sometimes we get into trouble and we get into en- enslavements because we just out and out sin. We disobey God. We turn the other direction from what God wants us to do. How often does our sin get us into trouble? It's our sin that gets us into trouble in marriage. It's our sin that gets us into trouble with our friends. It's our sin that gets us into trouble with our families. It's our sin that often gets us into trouble in our work relationships. Whenever we stray from God's word, remember earlier he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, when you hide God's word in your heart, when you are meditating on God's word, when you know God's word, that will keep you from sinning. As one person said, sin will keep, or the word of God will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the word of God. And so if we want to be those that avoid sin in our lives, then we need to be those who are meditating and thinking about the word of God. And so he says, God, would you deliver me? Would you help me? Would you provide me with a way out? Because sometimes I try to deliver myself. Sometimes I try to deliver myself by fudging the truth. And I think, well, if I, if I fudge the truth, that will just this, this make it easier in the long run. But you know what? Every time you lie to try and get out of something, you get into a worse situation. 
don't you? You just dig a bigger pit for yourself. So that attempt doesn't do much. Well, sometimes we apply, we, we, we rely on our charisma. You know, we get our personality. You know, we'll brush over this situation or we'll deal with this one or we'll buy some flowers or we'll bring some chocolates home or whatever. And, and we think that that will just make it all go away, that it will deliver us. Sometimes we just think, my willpower, I'll just dig my feet into the ground and I'll never do that again. All our attempts to deliver ourselves will get us back into slavery again. And so he says there, deliver me according to your word. If you really want help to get out of a sinful situation, go to the word of God. If the word of God tells you you need to forgive somebody, you go and forgive them. If the word of God tells you you need to stop being angry, you need to stop being angry. If the word of God tells you you need to tell the truth, you need to tell the truth. It's clear, it's plain, it's right before us. We simply need to obey it and to do it. So we get into trouble in our lives because we look, in, look for guidance in all the wrong ways and, and we sin and we try to deliver ourselves. The psalmist says, no, no, you need to come back to the word of God. And as he moves from there, he moves then into verse 171 and 172. And you notice there, he says, My lips will pour forth praise because you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. We've been, what we were doing in song is praising God. We were praising God because of, of, of scriptures that we have applied to our lives. The scriptures about salvation, scriptures about the promise of God, scriptures about the forgiveness of sins, all of those sorts of things. And so our natural response to that is to praise God. As you apply the word of God in your life, as you seek its guidance and you, you obey it as, it, as you find deliverance in the word of God, the natural impulse is to simply say, God, thank you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. God, thank you for that timely word. Thank you for that timely warning. Thank you for that promise that has sustained me. And so you praise God. But also, notice what he says, my lips will tell, or my lips will pour forth praise. I think what he's saying is, I'm going to tell others about what you've done for me. Some of the most meaningful times in my life and meaningful conversations that I have with people are when they come up to me and they say, Paul, I want to tell you what God's been showing me in the Word this week. And they share a promise or they share something that they've learned and and they're telling forth the praise of God and and your, your heart just sings with them. And sometimes you learn a lot from what they've shared with you. Or somebody will come along and and they'll say, Paul, uh, my wife does this once in a while, and she'll share a scripture with me, and it'll be a warning. And she'll say, you need to listen to this scripture, Paul. And that's hard, but it's good. And she's telling forth what she's been learning in scripture. And so we, we ought to be people who in our conversations, at our coffees, at our lunches, at our small groups, we don't just talk about stuff of the world. We share the word of God with one another. We just say, this is what God has been teaching me, or this is what God has been warning me about, or this is what God has been sharing with me. And so we use our mouths to do this. So those are the first four parts of this, this last stanza there. We stray because we don't look to the Word of God for guidance. We stray because we find ourselves um, um, sinning and then getting into all kinds of trouble. There is this battle that's going on inside of us. We lose sight of God and his provision for us in his word. We find ourselves in need of salvation. But we can say, God, you know my heart. God, you know that the intention of my, my, my heart is to love you. And so I thank you for, for the times that you guide me. I thank you and I praise you for your word that it does come in and, and help me. Would you listen to my plea for deliverance again? Would you come to my rescue? 
rescue. I will tell others what you have done for me. And so that's where the psalmist is getting at. And then when you get there, that's been his sort of confession. I've blown it. This is how I've blown it. And this is how I respond. And now we find a little bit of his, re- re- of his resolve. What does he do now to try and get himself back on track? To say, okay, I, I stepped out of line and now all this has happened. So what does he do now to get himself back on, tr- on track? Well, he, he really makes three requests of God. He says, God, there's three things that I need from you. But he first describes what he's willing to do first. And I think it's important. It's not just all God. That we have to play a role in, in our relationship with God. And so you notice in verse 173, he makes a, a decision of the mind. I have chosen your precepts. I won't, I won't find wisdom there. I won't find wisdom there. I won't find guidance here. I won't look to that personality for help. I have chosen your precepts. I will not be sidetracked. I will not listen to others. I will, only, I will not follow the advice of the world. I have chosen your precepts. So he, he says to God, before I ask you what you can do for me, this is what I'm going to do. I have made a mental commitment that I will abide by your word. The second thing, though, that he says there is he says, I long for your salvation. And I think that's beginning to express something of his affections in his heart. And then in verse 174, he also says, your law is my delight. In other words, it's not just this this, um, intellectual, um, heady, um, emotionless commitment to do God's word. He says, I love it. I delight in it. Because it's, it's your word that gives me happiness. It's your word that gives me safety. It's your word that gives me joy. It's your word that gives me hope. And so I delight in it. So he's not just embracing it with his mind. He's embracing it with his heart, with his, infe- with his affections. Like when you find a good book, you don't just like the content of the book. You delight in the book. You delight in the story. You delight in the plot. You delight in all that, that, that happens in it. Well, in the same way, we ought to delight in the word of God and what it says to us and how it guides us. And so essentially what he's saying off the, again, is he's saying that he is going to love God with all his heart, mind, and soul. That's what he says. I've strayed. This is my resolve again. And then these are his requests. Let your hand be ready to help me. I, I so love that picture. Let your hand be ready to help me. We all, you know, we talk about a helping hand, don't we? You know, somebody that we can phone and help us build, uh, you know, an addition on our house. Or somebody that can um, come over and, you know, um, just be grunt laborer with us or whatever. Uh, and he's, what he's kind of saying is, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this by myself. Let your hand be ready to help me. It's like when I, when I get discouraged, would you put your arm around my shoulder and say, we can do this. We're going to make it. I'm never going to let you go. Or when we're sort of lagging behind a little bit, and he takes his hand and he gives you a bit of whack on the backside to get you going again. Let your hand Help me. I was reading uh, the Exodus story. And at the end of the description of getting the people of Israel out of Egypt, it says that they were delivered by the mighty hand of God. The power in the hand of God. The might in the hand of God. Or there's the gentleness where, where the Isaiah says, Behold, you have inscribed me in the palms of your hand. And so this is what the psalmist is saying. He says, I need your hand to help me. 
I need it to encourage me. I need it to, to, to support me. I need it to sustain me. I need it to deliver me. Let my soul live and praise you. He's not like Elijah or like Jonah who when things got tough, they said, God, just take me home. He said, no, I want to live and I want to praise you. God, would you give me life? Would you give me joy? Would you give me energy? Would you, would you help me walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to know your de- deliverance. I want to be able to continue to praise you before other people. Let my soul live and praise you. I'm not done yet. If you're not done with me, I'm not done. And then thirdly, he said, let your rules help me. It's really a, a way of saying, oh God, okay, God, I want you to help me. I want your word to set the the direction for my life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want your word to shape my day, Father. I want your word to, to, to strengthen my marriage. I want your word to sustain me and guide me and help me with the decisions that I have to make this week regarding friends or regarding business or regarding what school to go. Father, I want your word to guide me and sustain me. I want to do what's right, Father. I want your rules to be the context of my life because I know when that's help, when when that's what takes place, I glorify you and I magnify you and my life is as it should be. Those are his requests before God. And all of that, again, then comes against this background of being a lost sheep. I was, a, I was fascinated by that, again. Um, this is a confession. I have strayed like a lost sheep. It was Charles Spurgeon, I think, in one of his sermons, who says it's, it, it's, it's important that he doesn't say like a dog. And the reason he said that is because he, he says dogs, dogs can go away for a long time and they always find their way back home or often find their way back home. I was coming back from, from Victoria on Thursday night and uh, driving down the highway and there was this tiny little boxer dog on the island highway running across the highway, running around the highway and um, just weaving. I thought, I'm going to toast this thing. Anyhow, I, I did stop and I was going to back up and just as I got there, it just kind of skinnied up on the side of the highway and took off into the bush. But I thought, well, he's going to find his way back home or be dinner for something. But dogs find their way back home. Sheep don't. Sheep just keep wandering. They just, they get worse, they get loster and loster if there's such a word for it. And so this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I, I'm like a sheep. I just, you know, I just keep wandering and I keep wandering. And there's so many encouragements in the scripture how, how God is the good shepherd and how Jesus is the great shepherd and he comes and he finds us and he brings us back. But notice that he says, we are, well, while I'm like a sheep, I have the tendencies of a sheep. I get myself further and further and further into trouble and more and more lost. While I am like a sheep, he says, I am a servant. Seek your servant. I think in other words, what he's saying is he has a relationship with God. He is in God's kingdom. He is in God's family. He is one of God's subjects. And so on the basis of that, God will come and find him. God will come and seek him. God will come and search for him. There's Charles, Charles Bridges who, who said, We are God's servants. I cannot forbear to plead that although a rebellious prodigal, I am still your servant, your child. I still bear the child's mark of interest in your covenant. Let me then live humbled and self-abased, but never let me forget my claim, what you have done for me. You know, I'm thankful that this psalm ends this way. 
I need the reminder like this. I need to know that there is great blessing and there is great happiness to be found um, when God seeks us and finds us and brings us back into the fold. And you need to know that, and we need to be reminded of that, that when we stray and when we get off track, that God will seek us, God will find us, and God will bring us back into the fold. But as I was reflecting on that, I, said, I thought to myself, why would we not choose verse 1 and 2 instead of verse 176? For in verse, verse 1 and 2, he says, Happy are those who follow the teaching of the Lord. Happy are those who observe his decrees and turn to him wholeheartedly. In other words, it's always best to stay on the path. It's always best never to stray from the right way. The path of sin is never a profitable path. The path of sin is never a rewarding path. So while I am thankful that when I go off course, God will come and find me and he will bring me back. But I am so much more happy and so much more easy to get along with when I never stray off the path, when I continue to walk in a way that pleases God.